Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Paul Etterling. I am the lead pastor of the Westerville Free Will Baptist Church. We would appreciate it if you would share, like, comment, and rate this podcast. You can also subscribe to our podcast from the platform you use to listen to podcasts. This will help our podcast become more discoverable in the podcast universe. If you would like to know more about our church, we invite you to visit us on the web at westervillechurch.org. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Now let's join today's sermon. This morning I'm going to invite you to turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We have been looking at the issues of our heart. To remind you of what John said. Now I know we're in James this morning, but I want you to I want you to be reminded of what John said. John was talking about the world and he was assessing the world. And he said that there are three things about the world that we need to know. That there is a desire of the flesh that is that which satisfies us sensually. Whether it's through our sight or our hearing or our taste buds or our touch, uh, any of our five senses, that which satisfies us sensually That's the desire of the flesh. Now, in some translations, this is ESV, in some translations, the word desire there is rightly translated the pride, or or, excuse me, the lust of the flesh. And then he takes it a step further and reminds us that there's also another desire, and that's the desire how it should dress, how it should relate to other people. And in this passage before us, James is dealing with the church, and he's, he's really dealing with warning the church against worldliness, exactly what John was doing in 1 John. He was warning the church against worldliness by pointing out to us that it's both lust and pride that is all in the world. James is now putting some meat behind that. He's now bringing some practicality to that. And so I want us this morning to to ask this question. We're going to ask three questions, actually, but this is the first of three. What is humility? What is humility? And the answer that I would give you is that humility is the absence of pride. Now you say, why would you define it that way? Well, pride and humility are a very strange combination. And there's a balance that has to be drawn when handling the two in your life. Matter of fact, perhaps it's best illustrated by a story about Dr. Ironside. Dr. Harry Ironside was a great preacher in yesteryear, and he was once convicted about his lack of humility. So a friend recommended to him that he march through the streets of Chicago wearing a sandwich board, shouting the Scripture verses on the board for all to hear. Probably nothing more humiliating than that, is there? And so Dr. Ironside agreed to this venture. He put the sandwich board on, he put the scriptures, and as he marched through the streets of Chicago, he was 
screaming or, or quoting the scriptures loudly that were on that board. And when Dr. Ironside returned to his study later that day, he took the board off, set it to the side, and he said, I'll bet there's not another man in this town who would do that. The very thing he had just done to humble himself became a point of pride in his life. And I want to tell you that last Sunday morning after our service, you as a church were so gracious toward me after what I did. But there was one person in this church who walked up to me and gave me a very needed word of encouragement. And all he said to me was, don't let this become a point of pride. You see, we're, we all the time have this balance in our lives between pride and humility where we cannot allow our humility to become a point of pride in our lives. And I fear that we struggle with that way too much. And I fear that we give in to it way too much. So what is humility? Humility is the absence of pride. Now, in this passage of James, what we have in front of us is the word humble yourselves. And that word humble, it actually comes from a Greek root word that means to make low to the ground. To make low to the ground. It carries with it the idea of meekness. The word meekness, by the way, does not mean that you are weak. The word meekness, if you are a meek person, means that you have your power under control. Much like a stallion, that if it's a wild stallion, it has lots of power, but if it's out of control, it's not meek. But when its power is brought under control and when it even a child can get on the back of a horse and control it, when it's been properly broken, that's the picture of meekness. That's the picture of humility. When we bring ourselves down low to the ground, we are living a meek life in which our power is under control. It also carries with it the idea of not only meekness, but it carries with it the idea of servanthood. That my life is not about me. My life is about you. My life is not about what I desire. My life is about how I can better you. In the business world, if you've ever gone through any business training... It doesn't even matter what type of business you're in. One theme will always come through, and that is this. The customer is always right. If that's true in the business world, how much more is it true of the church? Because the world has the greatest need that they've ever had, and many of them are blinded to it and don't even know it, and they need the church to tell them what that need is, and that is the need of a Savior. 
And how do we open the door to be able to give them the gospel? How do we open the door to help them understand the gospel? We do it by doing what Jesus said, and that is you are both salt and light. You serve them. You help them. In the midst of a wicked world, you take the position of lowering yourself down low to the ground and you become a servant to them so that you can open the door to them to be able to give them the gospel. And so what is humility? It's the absence of pride. And how do we get rid of pride in our lives? We lower ourselves. We live a meek life. We live a life of servanthood. We live a life that says, this is no longer about me, but it's about you. You'll notice in this passage that's before us that part of the problem that James was addressing was arguments, quarrels, divisions, fights that were among the people. And the answer to that, as James puts it in chapter 4, is that everyone needs to humble themselves. Humble themselves. The greatest division that ever takes place in any community is when we allow pride to take over and we don't live a life of humility. And in the context of the church, you've heard me say this before, In the context of the church, it is about we, not me. And I don't mean me as the pastor. I mean you sitting where you are. That same statement ought to be your statement. It is about we, not me. That's exactly what James is showing us here in this idea of humbling ourselves, that that humility is to lower ourselves down, to live a life of meekness, a life that's under control, to serve others, to do what is best for the community, not just for our own selves. So that brings us to the second question. Why should we humble ourselves? I've learned something in my 47 years, almost 48 years, I've learned something. I'm a slow learner, so it's taken me this long. And what I've learned is this. Until you answer the question why, you will never be motivated to do it. You have to understand the why. You have to understand what the benefit is and and why we should do what we do. And it's when you understand the why that motivation comes. And so... And they were allowing all these other things to come in their lives to control them, to cause division, to cause the problems that they were having in their community. And he looks at them and says, you're adulterers. You've adulterated against God. You profess on one hand to know him, but yet you're living this way. And so in verses 1 to 5, I think the, the emphasis here of what we see is that God desires that we have a relationship with Him. Because James goes on to say, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? 
if we want to be friends with God, how are we friends with God? Well, it begins with humility. Not one of us sitting in this place this morning ever confessed our sin, repented of our sin, and came to Christ for salvation until we first made ourselves low. If you ever came to Christ and you came to Christ saying, here I am, Lord, I I know you want to use me, take me, I'm yours now. If you did it in that way, I would honestly ask you to look at your own heart. Because God doesn't need you. He's the almighty, all-powerful, great God, and there's none other like Him. He doesn't need us, but He has chosen to have a relationship with us. He has chosen to use us, but to do that, we have to be broken of our sin, and we have to humble ourselves. You cannot be friends with the world without having enmity between you and God. God desires humility. Number two. God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. Look at, again, what he says in verse 6. In verse 6, that is exactly what James says to us. But... And remember, but is a great biblical word because it means everything I've just said, I'm about to give you another option. I'm about to tell you something different. And so while there's division among you and while you're not friends with God and you're friends with the world and and all these things are happening within you, here's the great but of Scripture, and that is, but God gives more grace. More grace. Grace upon grace. Overflowing grace. Grace enough to handle the circumstances of life. Grace enough to handle whatever it is you face. Grace enough to be able to break the pride in your heart and to lower yourself to the ground in humility. God gives more grace. And he goes on to say in verse 6, Therefore God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You can rest assured of this one thing. When you lower yourself to the ground before God Almighty, He will pour out upon you grace, abundant grace, and it will be more than enough than you need for your life. God gives grace to the humble. And then in verses 7 to 10, as you finish the paragraph, what you find here is that God exalts the humble. He not only gives grace to the humble, but He exalts the humble. There was a time in Jesus' ministry, and you find this in Matthew 18, and I know that when we think about Matthew 18, the first thing our mind runs to is church discipline because that's the great chapter on church discipline. But in the first five verses of Matthew 18, let's not overlook something. Jesus lowered Himself and He picked up a tiny child and He basically said to the people that day, 
those who enter the kingdom must be like this little child. Now you think about the innocence of a child. You think about the love of a child. The love of a child is unconditional, isn't it? If you don't think that's true, you find Mikey today after church and you just go and put your hands out and he'll come to you. If you ask him for a kiss long enough, he'll give you a kiss too. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care how you smell. He doesn't care how old you are or how young you are. He has unconditional love for you. There's a humility there that just naturally exists in a child. And in Matthew 18, Jesus said, we must come like children. And then in Mark 10, lest you think the disciples of Christ were perfect, they were not. Because in Mark chapter 10, what we find are two of his closest disciples, James and John, who happened to be brothers, who happened to be known as the sons of thunder, what was their question? They had a question for Jesus. Lord, when we get into your kingdom, which one of us is going to sit on the left and which one of us is going to sit on the right? Now you talk about lust and pride working in someone's heart. James and John had it because what they were focused on was they wanted to be the ones next to Jesus. And what was Jesus' response to them? Whoever will be great must be a servant. Notice the word must. He didn't say they should be a servant. He didn't say it's best if you're a servant. He said you must be a servant. God exalts the humble. And those who are going to be great in the kingdom, those who are going to have a position that is satisfying and fulfilling is not the one who seeks it and obtains it at any cost, but he is the one who becomes a servant. He's the one who lowers himself to the ground. So when you think about why we should humble ourselves just in James 4, and there's, there's much, uh, there, there's other stuff that could be said from the New Testament, but just from James 4 himself, those three things I think are enough. Matter of fact, the, the first one that God desires it is enough. And then the good news is he gives grace to the humble. And he will exalt the humble. Have you ever noticed this at work or in your community or even here at the church? The people who you stay away from are usually the people who have some type of pride in their heart and they let you know it. And the people who we're attracted to are the ones who understand what humility is and they live a life of humility. I don't know about you, but I want to be the one that lives not just because God will pour grace out upon us, but so that He pours grace out upon us so that we can be gracious to others and serve others and live a life 
of humility. And so the third question that we're going to ask this morning is this. What are the results of humbling ourselves? And I'm going to take you through three different passages of Scripture from the Proverbs. These will be on the screen for you in just a moment. Let me just remind you, the Proverbs are not promises. The Proverbs are principles for life, and they characterize what life in general looks like. And in general, when we live by them, it usually goes the way the Proverbs say. There are always exceptions to the rule. So don't come to me after church and say, but, 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 but. There's always exceptions to the rule. But in general, the Proverbs are principles for life and how they should, how we should live and how it will look. And so the first thing when we answer the question, what are the results of humbling ourselves? The first thing I want you to see is in Proverbs 3.34, toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. Isn't that exactly what James just said? God gives grace to the humble. God exalts the humble. And even in the Proverbs, even in the time of Solomon, hundreds of years before James ever wrote this, Solomon was saying, he gives grace or he gives favor to the humble. He gives favor to the humble. Are you living in God's favor this morning? Are you living in God's favor this morning? If so, it will be because of humility. Number two, from Proverbs 22.4, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Now, don't take this out of context. Some would take this verse and they would focus in on that word riches. And they would say to you, see, I told you God wants you to be rich. There's nothing further from the truth. When we talk about riches here, we're talking about the fact that the Lord will meet every need that you have, and He may not meet it in the way you think He should. We're also talking about riches here in terms of non-material stuff. Because I want to tell you, one of the richest people in all the world is the person who has friends, who has family that loves him, who cares for him or her. So these riches are not just material riches. They can also be non-material riches in that we're pouring ourselves out into one another because of our love for the Lord, because of our fear for the Lord. And as a result, we are rich people. Listen, I can die with zero dollars to my name, but because I have a Westerville Free Will Baptist Church with brothers and sisters in Christ who love me and I love you, and because we want to be a part of a church that God is building, I'm all the more richer for that. Riches and honor, honor there doesn't mean you will obtain the highest point of any success in life, but honor here means that you will live an honorable life. And some of the most honorable people I've ever met in my life have been those who lived in the most meager of circumstances. That's why in this church, 
I am so thankful that a couple of years ago, we got a vision to start highlighting missionaries of the quarter and bringing them in when we can. Listen, next June, when our missionaries come, I've already scheduled them for next June, when they come, they're living among the Samburu people. They're living in witchcraft. They're living in they're living in a circumstance in which there is no greater spiritual war than what they face. And yet, I believe they live an honorable life. And when we talk about life here in this verse, it's, it's, it's not just living long days, it's not just living a long life, although that may happen, but life in the sense of living it in the most satisfied way that you can live life. See, the problem with lust and pride is we're never satisfied. But humility says, I'll take the life God gives me. Then the third thing that we find in Proverbs 11, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Now think about this. When we live a humble life, we're living a life of wisdom. It is always wise to be a servant to someone else. It is always wise to be obedient to the Lord and His Word. It is always wise to put ourselves under the authority of God in our in our own life. There's wisdom that comes with that. And so we'll put all three of those back up on the screen for you in case you missed any of those. They're they're there for you. Um, Those are the results of living humbly. Now I want to bring you back to James. And I want you to see what James said. Because in In verse 10, when he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, notice it is a command, humble yourself. It is not your mission in life to humble somebody else. It is your mission in life to humble yourself. But before he ever gets to that command in verse 10, notice what he said earlier in the paragraph when he said, submit yourselves to God. Here's what I want you to see. The humbling of yourself before the Lord is the lowering of yourself to the ground to submit yourself to the Lord. And in submitting yourself to the Lord, you're saying to the Lord, I don't have it all together. You know it better than I do. I'm coming for you to take me and fix me. We trust the Lord to do that for us. There's wisdom in that. So the question I want to ask you this morning is simply this. Are you humbling yourself? Are you submitting yourself under the authority of God? Being obedient to His Word? Loving Him and loving people? Serving Him and serving people. Are you walking humbly? And humbly 
submitting yourself to the Lord. Thank you once again for downloading today's podcast of the Sunday Sermon. And once again, if you would just be so kind to rate and comment on this podcast, that will help us to become more discoverable in the podcast universe. And until next week, may God bless you. May you have a great week.